Hello everyone, I'm your host, Ahad Hassan, and welcome to Season 4 of Titan Alumni Talks, a weekly podcast where we talk to alumni about their experiences at Cal State Fullerton. For this week's episode, we have Sabrina Valles, who is a marketing and event specialist based in China. She graduated in 2014 with a bachelor's in public relations. Listen as we talk about her move to China and her time at CSUF. You can catch these episodes live at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays at titanradio.org, or you can watch all past episodes on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash alumni. Thank you, Sabrina, for joining us on the podcast today. No, thank you for having me. I know you had quite a bit of a journey from Cal State Fullerton and then also going to the Zhejiang University of Science and Tech. So I went to Cal State Fullerton from August of 2010 to about, I would say I graduated in May of 2014. And what was really interesting was I I came to Cal State Fullerton, not sure what I wanted to do. I actually came in as an undeclared major because I would always say I'm undeclared because I don't know what I wanna do with my life. I'm 18 years old. I have to make this big decision now. And I just didn't think it made sense for me at the time to make such a big decision about degrees and majors until I was a bit more sure of myself in terms of like what I like doing And so that's why it was really different for me because I know a lot of people when I entered school, they came in, they declared themselves as different majors. Well, for me, I came in undeclared and it actually gave me more of an opportunity to feel a sigh of relief as I was doing all of my general ed studies. And I think general ed was really where I was able to kind of discover what I liked and what I didn't like. Before junior year, I remember thinking like, okay, about majors and started learning more and diving more into the different majors. And I remember coming across the College of Communications. I remember coming across public relations and and journalism and broadcast journalism and all the different majors offered by the journalism, by the communications college. And just thinking like, wow, all of these classes sound really cool. So from there, I ended up doing my college degree. I ended up um, like doing all the different classes Um, doing as many, like at the time it was doing more internships. And now here, like, then I, then I graduated. I see. So going back on how you got into PR, I noticed you did a couple of clubs such as PRSSA and um, some work for CSU of Latin Communications. Was that in the beginning of your first two years or was that in the latter after you knew you were going to major in PR? So my first two years in college, I was actually in Ballet Folklorico de CSUF. Um, so I was, I'm a folklorico dancer. I'm Mexican American. I'm like third, fourth, fifth generation. And I've been dancing since I was five. So I saw they had a folklorico club. So I joined and I was actually the PR officer for the club. So I was on the executive board my sophomore year. I was very involved in folklorico and like helping really uh, shape the identity and probably some of the earlier years. And it was like really cool, a really great experience. But so like Folklorico played a huge role. Also, um, I would say Cal State Fullerton's Public Relations Student Society of America played a pivotal role. I was the fundraising director my senior year of college um, for that organization. I was a part of PRSSA for two years because I didn't know my degree at the time. So I joined as soon as I knew my degree. And I went to all the meetings and took like vigorous notes learned about internships, got some cool opportunities through them. 
as well and also like was played a big role because really college is about what you get out like what you make out of it so you can't expect to go into these clubs and be like i'm gonna get an internship no it doesn't work like that like you have to put in work too if you put in work people will vouch for you and this is where your social capital comes in so i have to say with the latinos communication institute i was there with them back when they were an initiative so i was one of the first student assistants um, actually, I was the first student assistant and was very like I was involved. It was my senior year when they started. And I remember like meeting um, the director at the time and she was just amazing. And I just learned so much from her because she was one of these like very strong Latina women who's done so like very well in her career. And she also went through a variety of different career paths where she dabbled into different things, realized what she liked and then and then ended up into education. And it was just really cool because from her, I learned a lot of things. And also like, she just really taught us about networking and like how to develop an elevator pitch. Cause even like putting together an elevator pitch as a college student, it's like a very hard skill. And to go up and to talk to people, I think as a college student is very hard. And it all, like, like I always say, like it always comes back. Like some things from your past will always come back to your future doing work with Don Santos Needles as well, um, helped me land my first job, which was at the Arch Charter School in Orange County. Did a lot of excellent like PR and marketing in, in the arts and education space. And that was like really cool. Got to meet a lot of contacts like in, um, in journalists and around the world. Got to pitch some really cool stories. And I remember we did this event and it was aimed at the Chinese market um, because Chinese market is a very huge community in this area of the school. So we did this event and I remember like not really knowing a lot about like the Chinese community and just wanting to learn. And it was just a really interesting experience. This has kind of like shown the importance of sort of networking, especially at college when even though people around you, you might not think that they have a lot of resources or a lot of things to provide right away. And like you mentioned, you shouldn't go into a club or go into a network expecting something out of it you should just go into it because you naturally enjoy it and somewhere along the line like you graduated in 2014 and I believe you moved to China in 2018 so it's it was many yeah. years after you graduated and you mentioned that it was someone from PRSSA who was a part or like working in China teaching a kindergarten so uh, just keeping those connections yeah. even after you graduate it's not like you should go in during your college and then once you're done with university leave that university completely behind it's still good to keep those connections and still be involved. And uh, one thing I want to bring up is you did participate in the D12 event and you hosted it. If you would like to give sort of like a background for students on why you did it, what you liked about it, and why more students should sign up for D12, which we host uh, once a semester, uh, so twice a year, basically. Mm -hmm. So I came from a background where you always give back where you come from. And Cal State Fullerton was a place where I came from and I feel a responsibility to give back what I can. So even like, I'm, I feel like I'm still pretty involved with like different networks and different and different opportunities. And what I liked about D12 was I felt like I can give back and help as much as I can because I do enjoy mentoring and helping people like find their path and kind of ask them the questions to figure out what they like doing because you know, like people, people in Cal State Fullerton did this for me too. And that's why I did D12 because I wanted to help people and help people realize like, you know, they can, they can do, they can have an open-ended path. And I wanted them to, I wanted to help them as much as I could. 
really. And that's why I really did it. And I hope like my story is something people can see and realize like, oh, okay, I could do this too, you know? And cause I think it's possible. Like I think opportunities are endless. Of course, like you will see, you will come across barriers. Like you have to keep in mind too, like, like you don't know. So there's a bunch of things I can say about D12. So one thing, you never know where, like where people end up. That's one thing. Two, I think you should always just keep good relationships with people because, and be nice to everybody. It doesn't matter who they are. Just be nice, be friends, be friendly. You don't have to be their best friend, but you could still be nice and be good acquaintances. And I think with D12, what makes D12 interesting is that students get to come and meet with professionals who want to help you. Like, cause back then when I was a student, I felt like, oh, like, I'm really scared to like talk to these professionals. I don't want to come off as I want something from them, you know, but really like these professionals, they just want to help you. They want to help you find your path, find your way, but also at the same time, you have to do groundwork as well. But I think with us, like for, like us, like we want to help you figure out, like help you find the path and we'll help you find the path and we'll take time to help you find the path. But we also have to understand too that I think also there's also some barriers that may be hard to help people find their path. And even like, even networks that necessarily you weren't involved in back when you were in school, I think being a part of alumni associations are probably like the best way to be a part of these networks. And you brought up a lot of great points. Like, um, for one, we do have over 300,000 uh, Spearfield alumni. So that just goes to show that we're not all living in Orange County after we graduate. A lot of uh, alumni move out and see different job opportunities in different locations. And as a result, you will find alumni wherever you go. Uh, you'll see them wearing like a Titan hat or a Titan sweatshirt. And then you'll just instantly recognize that, oh, they are an alum. And then they have like, a similar background to you. And then as well, like just keeping in with the connections. And the one thing I like about Dinner with 12 Titans is that it's not just you and an alumni or a couple of alumni. It's a lot of people from the same college or background that you are from uh, thinking about the same question. So it's not only that you gain a connection with an alumni, you also gain it with a lot of other students that you might not have met because you might've been in a different year or maybe you're trying to get into that industry while they're already in it. And with it, you just get these new connections that you might never have before. Um, over just like a regular dinner. And right now we're doing it virtually, but um, in the past years, we've, we've done them in person, which makes it a mm -hmm. lot better to make those connections because you can have dinner with an alumni and a lot of other students for around two hours. And it's just a fun experience all around uh, getting to ask these questions and getting to know these people. So that's why I always participate in it because it's just a lot of fun uh, just meeting new people. So tell me a little bit about your move to Hangzhou and why you chose that city in particular. And um, do you want to stay in China for the foreseeable future or do you plan on making a move uh, maybe even to a bigger city in China uh, in the next couple of years? Well, I love Hangzhou. And so I'll probably stay in Hangzhou for a bit um, because I want to open the company here in Hangzhou. Um, Hangzhou uh, with Alibaba being here, like a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities for being an entrepreneur here, even as a foreigner. And they really love, they're very e-commerce centric because this is where like essentially e-commerce was built in a way. And also like, I think the opportunities in Hangzhou are really excellent. So that's why I plan on staying here. It's two hours away from Shanghai, but where I live currently, it's in a very like local area, which makes it fun. So I don't like living, like I, I thought at first I wanted to move to Shanghai. And then I realized like, 
why would I want to live in Shanghai is a big city. Um, everyone speaks English and I want to, I want to be speak Mandarin. Like, cause you could go around Shanghai and you could speak English and not have to learn Mandarin. And I know a lot of people do. And I'm the type of person who I said, no, I moved to China because I wanted to learn about the people, the culture, the customs. And I feel in Hangzhou, I'm able to do this very well. And I'm able to speak more Mandarin. And that for me was like super important was to speak the language and to learn the language and challenge myself in ways where I never thought I would. So I'll probably be here maybe like five more years, who knows? I'm so open-ended on life to be quite honest with you. And I met my significant other here. He's from Ghana. And so right now, like we're like, you know, we're in the stages of like thinking about our futures and things and who knows where life will end up. Maybe I'll be in Ghana, maybe I'll move to Spain because I've, I've always thought like, oh, I'd love to live in Spain one day. So it's all about what you make of it. Like I always say, it's always about what you make of it and how you apply yourself. And I know people who came to China and they did not like it. Like I know people where they could not find their footing. But I think you also have to be very open-minded when you move somewhere else. So I think for right now, I'm just keeping open-ended. And But for China, definitely I'll be here for longer because I want to open a business here. And living in the U.S., I feel like a lot of people here are sort of used to people moving in from different countries uh, because they believe that U.S. is like the land of opportunity and um, you have a lot of freedom here to choose whatever job you want and to get into an industry you like. But we kind of forget that other countries exist and we can move to other countries to get jobs over there. And it's the same thing as people moving here. But I guess we're just kind of accustomed to just seeing people move to the U.S. instead of the opposite way around. But I like how you're open-minded mm -hmm. to the idea of. And so before we ended off, I just had a couple questions about your complete move to China. Well, let's just start with the first one. What did you find most difficult about moving to a different country, especially one where you sort of had to learn a foreign language, especially because you didn't move to like the main city in, in China? Well, I would say like, because I don't know if you've, um, there's this like chart where it talks about culture shock, where you have this high and then you hit the low and then you like maybe hit the high again. And I remember hitting the low and I remember like that being very tough because I felt so alone and I felt like I didn't really have a lot of support. Like I was still very new to the country. It wasn't more like I wasn't tired of the customs or the people or the culture, the language. It was more just like feeling like I didn't have support and I just felt alone. And everybody experiences that. It's a very common thing, but like at the time when you're experiencing it, it's hard and it's tough. Um, so that I would say was probably the most difficult was that experiencing that low and understanding what that low meant. And then being able to kind of like rethink yourself and be able to like climb out of that low is also a very powerful thing and very exciting too. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, the culture shock is probably like one of the biggest ones that you kind of need someone there in order to, um, just so you don't feel alone. Uh, I know like some people do it on their own, but maybe like after a while that it does get kind of lonely. But I guess like once you kind of make friends over there and uh, start to build that camaraderie with other people, especially um, those who might have also moved there or are doing something similar as you. And in that case, someone learning your language while you're learning theirs, it kind of builds that connection and sort of a friendship that makes sure that you aren't alone. And um, another question I had was, is there something that you've experienced in China that you kind of wish was here in the U.S.? 
Oh, I, that one is a great question. And I know what it is, actually. One thing I wish the US um, did that China does over here is a focus on learning other languages. I think around the world, people learn multiple languages when they're kids. While in the States, like I think even language education at an earlier age is hard to find and hard to come by. And if I were in the States again, doing life in the States all over again, I wish I learned other languages when I was a kid. Now it's so funny, like I'm actually, I'm also um, trying to improve my Spanish out here because my Spanish wasn't so great. And I'm now working on that. So it's really funny. I'm, I'm learning, I'm appreciate, I'm, I wish I was able to learn more languages in the States and I wish the States valued language learning more in terms of like learning another language other than English. Because it's like, I, I feel like um, if you speak another language, I think it just adds like, like it, like there's studies that show all these benefits, but I think being able to speak another language just opens doors to having more conversations with people that you never would have been able to. Mm -hmm. And uh, one last question before we get into a bit of advice for students. I'm just wondering, and I, I feel like a lot of people are, is how are other countries dealing with the coronavirus? It's been a little over 12 months since the U.S. first went on lockdown, and a lot of public schools are still working online. Some private schools are in person, but for the most part, still like socially distanced, uh, all wearing masks, and a lot of businesses are requiring masks. Only a few states have opened up completely, but yeah, for the most part, 12 months in, um, we are still dealing with the pandemic. So I'm just wondering how China, and just like a different country in particular, is dealing with the coronavirus and how your job might have been affected by the pandemic. And um, also like what type of resources were you given to accommodate for the pandemic? Through China, so everyone knows like, like the a pandemic like first appeared in China. It appeared in a city called Wuhan. And Wuhan is actually, how I describe Wuhan to people is Wuhan's like the Chicago of China. It's very like financial, it's a very like big city. Um, I want to go to Wuhan. Like, I think Wuhan's really cool. Um, and I'm excited to go one day. And I, like, some people might think, like, oh, like, but that's where the virus started. And I'm like, no, I'm still going to go. Because actually, Wuhan has been, they their numbers have been very low, or hardly anybody having the virus since, like, months ago. Um, but for us, so China actually took a different approach. And I think, really, the approach is different because of the society and the way the society is. So to kind of like, let me put that in perspective first, and then I can explain to you um, COVID and how China dealt with COVID. So the U.S. is a very individualistic mentality, where it's all about like, you're, it's about, about the self. China, and I think a lot of the Asian countries out here, um, they are more about family over self or the community over self. So that's a very China mentality. It's all about putting others above self. So when the pandemic first hit, I remember I was traveling with a friend in China and she came to visit me and we went to Vietnam first and then we saw the news of the lockdowns and I'm like, well, let's go back. Let's see what's going on. And if we need to leave China, we will leave China. So we went to Beijing. She got to go see the Great Wall, which is, you know, going to China, see the Great Wall is a very important thing. And then that's when we started hearing about all the lockdowns. So they started locking down, I would say the news came out, it was like mid-January of 2020. And then around, I would say it was like February, this, or late January, early February, that's when they started going in lockdown. 
But as you guys know, in the news timeline, I think it, it first started appearing in Wuhan, but at first, like the government was kind of like keeping the information like very quiet. And, um, but then it came out like in January and then they went into serious lockdown mode. I came back in, in China, February 6th. And I remember like the Philippines, like before I entered my flight, they saw I had China history in my passport. They gave me a temperature check where they didn't give anybody else a temperature check. Um, and I knew it was because I have China travel history in my passport. Then I got to Shenzhen, um, which is a city south of China next to Hong Kong. Um, and from there, like, I remember, like, I was registering a higher fever for some reason, like, for some reason, it was like slightly high. So they had me do a COVID test in the airport. So that was quite interesting. So I was with a bunch of people and we did like a blood test in and like the swab, like a, a cotton swab in the in the back in your throat in the airport. And everybody was wearing masks. It was all like masks everywhere. Then you see the people in the suits in the airport. And it was quite interesting because it was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like, this is insane. And I remember going to um, my boyfriend's compounds in Shenzhen and they basically did not allow us to leave the compound, but we were able to leave the room because the room was like super tiny. So imagine quarantining for a month and you could leave the room, but the room is like small. It only fits really a bed, a tiny kitchen. And it's not like in America, in US standards, you can't call it a kitchen. It's literally a, a little shelf. And then you have your hot plate and maybe you have your rice cooker. China is a very um, delivery centric place already. So it was just really like operation as normal. Like the delivery people, I think had more work. They were more like the frontline workers where they had more work. They had to do all these deliveries um, for food. If for people bought food or people bought groceries. So it was already like China's infrastructure was already kind of set up, I think. And then eventually like a few weeks later, um, we were able to go outside the complex and we'd go to the mall and they wouldn't allow us to sit inside the restaurants and things. And then about like, I would say around like late February, like March was when they started opening things up a bit more. And it was just very, the way China did it, just so methodical, it's very, like I explained, it's very China. It's very people over self. And I think those were like the types of messages that were being like displayed, where like people over self, getting over this virus together, wear your mask, you wear your mask, and um, what I also thought was interesting too, like even for my city in Hangzhou, while I was outside of Hangzhou, there was a time in Hangzhou where people couldn't even leave their apartments for, for for you days. So like if somebody, like let's say I was in Hangzhou, we wouldn't have been able to leave our apartment. And it's only like once every three days, one person can leave the apartment to go buy supplies. And that's it. And like nothing was open. Restaurants were all shut down. Like everything was shut down. It was like, it was a ghost town. So like by March, like restaurants were opening with like the sanitizers and then we could eat in restaurants finally, like in March. And then in April, I would say most things were up and running and operating. We were just wearing masks. Like eventually, like everybody was brought into work, like slowly but surely people were brought into work. Um, and then everybody was wearing masks, like pretty much I would say from like February to about April. And then I would say around April, like mask restrictions started getting loosened and then they would loosen them depending on where you're at. So like there was a time like at the mall where they used to do temperature checks like individual and then they got the, the screens that do like the monitoring and do temperature checks that way. Um, but pretty much like we've been living normally I feel since March, April of last year. 
so um, like pretty much a year ago, but we were still wearing our mask in the subways, public transportation, and if you had to fly flights. It's just a different mentality, I guess is the best way to put it. And then like in Hangzhou too, for Chinese New Year, Chinese New Year is a very popular time to travel. So what Hangzhou did, not all the cities did this in China, but what Hangzhou did was they offered a stipend of a thousand kwai if you stayed home during Chinese New Year. So um, several of us foreigners, we decided to take the stipend, to apply and take the stipend. And they gave us like a thousand kwai, like at the beginning of Chinese New Year. I see. So that's sort of interesting. I guess it's, like you mentioned, like a whole collective mentality versus we sort of even see it in the government in the U.S. where states have some power over um, the federal government and even within it, the counties and the cities have uh, power over the state. So it isn't stay-at-home mandates and mask mandates and then it's just federal. States can block that, cities can block that. So it's more of just like a step ladder type of thing. Whereas it's yeah. like in China, it was like all at once where it was all contained. Whereas here, it takes quite a bit longer because when you're shutting down, it's one by one by one, which takes a few months. And then even reopening, they'll do the same thing. Whereas or, where some states and some cities uh, want to wait on reopening while some want to jump the gun on it, which has kind of made it a year long thing where, um, like you're mentioning, China has basically started opening up when we sort of closed down. And yeah. yeah, we're still in that process of not completely opening yet, which is, um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting just seeing uh, different cultures, you know, like we're all, we're all human, right? And we all come from, yeah. Earth, but it's just, it's just interesting seeing how we kind of adapt and kind of react to different occurrences that um, affect all of us, which is, you know, it is interesting to take a look at from like a broader perspective and hopefully we get to speak to more people from different countries just to get that firsthand experience on uh, what their country did and um, how they personally experienced something that um, we can all relate to. So, so that'll be interesting, maybe talking to people in the future regarding that. So just to end it off, uh, I just wanted one piece of advice. Uh, what would you give to students who are sort of trying to find something that speaks to them? Um, maybe like some people are undeclared or they're not even sure um, if they should go to a university because they don't have a specific field they want to major in. So what's like some advice you would give to those people? I think um, they, I think for people who may not, may be unsure, I think they need to really focus on finding things they like and finding things they enjoy. And you could find those things in social activities. So it could be anything from like, for me, it was dance for others. It may be other things like yoga, maybe it's, maybe it's beer, who knows. Um, and I think from there, like, I think if you reframe the conversation of let's not make it about what do you want to be you're going to college should be something instead of you're going to college to learn and then find something that you like doing i think that will help reframe a lot of the college mindset i think for most people and also like help people find their path too so just find things that you like to do start exploring like your inner childhood like think about your inner child and think about like what you like doing as a kid and what you like doing in high school and then from there, you kind of start writing down like the things you enjoy, like maybe you were a captain of a team or something and you enjoyed doing like you were a leader. So you could see like management maybe in something in the future, or maybe you were part of the school newspaper, or you like taking pictures. I don't know, like there's so many things. Oh, you like, you like fashion. There are people who like fashion and they want to go into fashion school, or maybe they like doing, um, they love visuals and things. So. I think just finding things you like doing and then from there it's easier to transition, I think, into a career 
um, is finding is finding those things and then finding those skill sets that you can apply for jobs. And it, you can be flexible. You don't have to do the same job for the rest of your life. Um, that's definitely, you could also, it's also, there's a really nice flexibility to career curves nowadays versus like I would say back then when my parents were going to school, it was always like, let's stay in a company for a long period of time versus now it's like you can transition and transitions are okay, which is cool. Yeah. Thank you, Sabrina, for uh, this great oh, advice. And uh, I kind of want to like bring up sort of like you said, connecting with alumni and staying connected with the school, a tool to connect like students and alumni and alumni with each other. It's called the Titan Pro Network. And basically what it is, is sort of like a LinkedIn site, but it's specifically for Cal State Fullerton student alum and staff and faculty even. And basically it just allows us to find fellow Titans in industries that we want to go in or uh, Titans who are currently in that major and just finding other people who can relate to our experiences or um, what we're trying to get into. So it's very simple to get on it. All you have to do is search Titan Pro Network and just sign in with your LinkedIn account. So everything is basically there for you. And then with it, uh, like you mentioned prior, when you do meet some of these alumni who participate in these events, they're kind of professionals in the field willing to help other students out. So it's not like they're cold calling alumni. They put themselves out there for you to, like, for you to meet them. So that's what I love about that program and that tool. Uh, it's just super easy to get connected. And I know for this podcast, I use it quite a bit just to find alumni who are willing to speak to students and find out about events and just overall stay connected to um, Cal State Fullerton. So, um, so yeah, if any students are listening to this and want to know how to connect with alumni better or other students, uh, go ahead on Titan Pro Network and you as well, Sabrina. Um, Titan Pro Network is a great way just to stay connected and just find other people who, who knows, maybe they're trying to move to China or find a job in education or just learning a different language and just want your thoughts or advice or professional opinion on that. So, so yeah, the, it's a great tool and I recommend it to anyone. Yes, sounds awesome. I'll definitely sign up. Mm -hmm. So again, thank yeah. you so much for joining us and yeah. No, thank you.